This is a podcast from the January 22, 2007 meeting of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. This podcast is from the afternoon session relating to integrating academic values in the recruiting process. The podcast runs approximately one hour and 20 minutes. For more information on the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics, visit www.knightcommission.org. Integrating Academic Values into the Recruiting Process In August, the Institute of Higher Education at the University of Georgia convened a group of college administrators, coaches, and faculty members to discuss issues in recruiting with support from the Knight Commission and the Presidential Venture Fund at Georgia. One of the group's main conclusions was the need for the entire campus community to be involved in the recruitment of athletes. Too often, they found... Coaches recruit students in isolation from the rest of the campus community, such that admissions offices do not evaluate prospective students and students themselves do not get a holistic picture of college life and the demands it presents. Also, the recruiting process is moving earlier and earlier, with coaches evaluating prospects as young as 8th grade. Early scholarship offers and requests for prospects to commit to the institution well before his or her final two years in high school minimizes the role that academic interests and ability and personal fit play into the process. Three of the panelists here, Joe Castiglione, Jeff Orleans, and Doug Toma, participated in Georgia's Roundtable. The group will discuss the issues and potential models for improving the process for athletes and the universities. Panelists for this session include J. Douglas Toma, Associate Professor of Higher Education at the University of Georgia, Jeffrey Orleans, Executive Director of the Council of Ivy Group Presidents, also known as the Ivy League, since 1984, John Blackburn, Dean of Admissions at the University of Virginia since 1985, and Joseph Castiglione, Director of Athletics at the University of Oklahoma since 1998. Segue into uh, the panel that we will be hearing from now, these four individuals. The, uh, in August, the Institute of Higher Education at the University of Georgia convened a group of college administrators, coaches, and faculty members to discuss issues in recruiting with the support of the Knight Commission and the Presidential Venture Fund at Georgia. Is that the Adams Presidential Venture Fund at Georgia? Or just presidential venture fund? Okay. <laughs> I mean, do you get credit for it, or was it there before you got there? All right, good for you. And so uh, there was there were a number of issues that came out of that, and so there was a desire to have some of those uh, presented to us here on, for this occasion. And uh, Mike, do you want to add anything to that? I can assure you that, as you'll see in just a moment, Doug Toma is fully capable of speaking for himself. So, all right. Professor Toma. Thank all four of you for being here, and we will just go in this order. And uh, so Doug Toma is at the University of Georgia, Associate Professor of Higher Education, and uh, put that particular uh, event together. So we'll start with you, Doug. Thanks, President Turner and President Wharton. It's a pleasure to be here on behalf of the Institute of Higher Education at the University of Georgia. Thanks to President Adams for uh, contributing to the funding for this. Thanks to Amy Perko for uh, 
for contributions as well, and to Wel Suggs, who uh, our colleague at the Institute of Higher Education, um, who also participated in organizing the roundtable, which did in fact incur, occur in Atlanta back in August. We had 19 participants, and I'd like to thank them for their time um, and effort both in attending the roundtable in Athens and also working on the essay that the members have in their briefing book uh, that's the product of our time together in, uh, in August. What uh, I'll do to start us off is talk a little bit about the major points that we make in the essay. And uh, Jeff and Joe were both present and uh, have participated in crafting that document. So we'll uh, continue the discussion through them. And, uh, and Jack has uh, his own perspective, obviously, as the Director of Admissions at Virginia, which fits, um, we think, very neatly, or we suspect very neatly, into uh, the work that we did in, uh, in Atlanta. It just in talking with Jack for a few minutes before the session, um, I thought, damn, he would have been a good participant in, uh, in our roundtable had we been able to attract him there. So um, next time, please. It's interesting listening to the conversation about athletics recruiting and particularly the comments about quantifying recruits, <coughs> ranking recruits, because it's a minor obsession. In fact, it's not even a minor obsession. I think it's a major obsession of ours in American higher education to do precisely the same thing. I'm a faculty member at the 21st ranked public research university in the country. Uh, we were 19 or 18, I believe, last year. I need to mention that. And uh, it's important to be in the top 20. <laughs> Chancellor Young, I'm certain, can tell us precisely where Florida was his last year on that list. Um, even if we don't like the US News rankings, and I don't think any of us are crazy about them, they're a fact of life in American higher education. They're an obsession. Again, I'll use that word. Uh, I know precisely what our incoming SAT scores, average SAT scores are for freshmen. And I'm, I, obviously I'm a, a professor of higher education, so I'm paid to know things like this, but it's common knowledge on our campus. So quantifying individuals, um, the whole notion of ranking ourselves, rating ourselves, is pervasive not only in athletics, but across higher education. We work toward improving our ratings, and we do so with great purpose. We uh, look to bring in more research money, things like the President's Venture Fund, not only funds roundtables on issues uh, concerning public policy or, or higher education policy, but also um, startup projects that may lead to significant funding down the line for faculty at my university. And these are very important things to our institution. One of the points that we make, and really the central point in our essay, is that while universities and even some colleges and their athletics programs seem to exist in different worlds, the issues and the trends affecting both sides, both athletics and academe, are really quite similar. One of the areas where there is some divergence is in recruiting, that particularly in the sports where there's broad external interest, sports like football, men's basketball, at big institutions um, like Wake Forest or Michigan State uh, or Florida or Georgia. You tend to see student athletes being recruited outside of the traditional admissions process. And Jeff will speak to this in more detail. Uh, the principal 
that we all agreed upon around the table that some of the challenges in recruiting would be, um, could be addressed in an effective way through embedding recruiting more in the normal admissions process. In other words, if we treated recruited athletes like we do all students, we'd be much better off. And let me go into that in a little more detail. Um, one of the great causes for concern is that recruited athletes have very little contact with the campus as a whole through the process. And you know, that can lead to problems that, that this commission has heard about for over a decade. And we won't go through their, these, um, we talk about them in the essay. But that when there's no contact, no, no, essentially no contact with the regular admissions process until the very end of the recruiting process, if there's contact at all, that's a bad, it, you can see where the natural, you can see a place there where bad results would, uh, would occur. And again, one of the things that we talked about is incorporating faculty voices, academic administrators' voices, into the recruiting process early and often, essentially making it a discussion, a conversation, a negotiation among people in athletics as well as in on the academic side makes great sense to us. Obviously, there's no one solution. We weren't about coming up with, uh, with the solution but a framework that values transparency across the institution in athletics admission made very good sense to us. And that transparency quite naturally leads to a situation where institutions make better choices. And Joe will talk about a specific example of this at the University of Oklahoma where they've made great strides toward bringing athletics recruiting into the typical admissions process. Again, the idea here is that as you involve academics, um, both administrators and faculty, with the process, you get better outcomes. You get outcomes that are closer to what the values of the institution as a whole are. Again, we work from the premise, uh, from the prospect that trends and challenges across higher education parallel and thus can informed as well as be informed by issues in intercollegiate athletics. That positive change cannot occur in athletics in isolation, that it's got to involve the entire university, and that finding mechanisms to connect the institution with athletics, the institution more broadly with athletics, are not only necessary, but not all that hard to achieve. Again, Joe will give a concrete example of this um, as we move through uh, the panelists here. The notion is one, if you want to think about it in this way, of spreading risk. Right now, all the risk is on the athletic side in the recruiting um, of particularly athletes in the spectator sports, in the sports that draw broad external attention. How do you spread that risk across the institution? Again, it's by involving faculty and administrators in, um, in meaningful ways, in regular ways, in the process. Now the challenge you have here, as much as anything, is that both sides are relatively dismissive of the other. People in athletics tend to view faculty in particular as not having a clue about the, the real worlds in which they operate, um, not understanding that there are commercial pressures, that it's a, a venture that's at least expected to break even or maybe make some money when we're talking about sports like football. 
and that faculty are content to put athletics over there and then complain a lot. That they don't take the time necessary to come to know the context that, that matter for coaches and for athletics administrators. At the same time, people in athletics tend to not really understand the context of the university, the universities within which they work. Uh, they don't get the, the, they don't take the time to get to, uh, that's needed to internalize academic values, the norms that are, are so um, important in how we make decisions, how we set policy at, uh, at universities. One of the things that we focused on in Atlanta was that really the issues, again, the issues and trends in both athletics and on the academic side are quite parallel. Again, the obsession with rankings, um, with prestige, you can see as, as easily on the athletic side as you can on the academic side. Um, there are the same commercial pressures as costs escalate um, and resources become harder to find, both in academics, both on the academic side and the athletic side. Um, and you can go right down a variety of issues, and really all of the major issues facing both athletics and higher education more generally, and you can see clear, par clear parallels. And we go through several of these in the essay. Uh, I won't go into them in any more detail here. These parallels, these commonalities ought to be obvious. But they're not. And the reason they're not is there's no occasion for people in athletics and faculty members, the kinds of people that are making admissions decisions, to get together. There's no formal mechanisms, there's no informal mechanisms. Athletics exists at our largest institutions, and again, I'm, I'm stereotyping, I'm speaking in, in general terms, but I think we can see the truth in this. They're operating in different universes, yet coaches are making admissions decisions, are, are, are essentially driving admissions decisions without the input of faculty. Again, our point is a conversation between and among the various constituents, um, coaches, people on the athletic side, um, and then people on the academic side, is just sensible policy. That this divide is needless, um, and it's destructive in many ways. Um, again, the issues are the same. If people got together and talked, they would realize that uh, to a great extent. Again, the principle that we focus on is transparency through involvement spreading the risk by doing so, that when you involve the entire academic community, when you bring recruiting into the normal admissions process, academic values are introduced into this, um, and the risk is spread across the entire institution. Right now, we ask coaches, and coaches alone, for the most part, to make these judgments, and then they're holding the bag when something potentially goes wrong. They're rarely praised, I suppose, when things go right, but that's the situation most of us probably find ourselves in, um, no matter where we work in, uh, in higher education. A better policy, it seemed to us, um, as we discussed these issues in Atlanta, was to uh, involve everybody, spread the risk. Let me conclude with just uh, underscoring once more the commercial realities point. Um, one of the things that's an especial challenge is that faculty in particular are either unaware, but I suspect more unwilling to confront that the universities within which they work, and I'm talking about research universities here, are increasingly entrepreneurial, 
or there's a need to be entrepreneurial within them. Faculty look to a golden age where there was ample state support and where there weren't accountability demands that there are today and seem frozen at that moment. It's not a realistic posture to take. Uh, one of the things that being exposed to athletics may encourage in faculty, and we're talking about rank and file faculty at institutions, is a recognition that these commercial realities are part of their world. And anybody who works with athletics who's, who's exposed to it, I think comes to that conclusion pretty quickly, seeing what's happening on the athletic side. At the same time, our people in athletics are able to insulate themselves in much the same way from the important things on the academic side. They can operate in their own universe. Forcing people out of that comfort zone, out of being able to put the, put the other side in a, in a different place than where they are, not thinking them, of themselves as being part of one institution is problematic. We find a simple solution here. Joe will talk about how that works at one institution in detail. But our basic point is, once more, that um, there are real world factors at play in recruiting. Anything that can help faculty understand those is a good thing. We think conversations around admissions are a very good place to begin that. And we think that bringing um, academic values, norms, into athletics will occur at the same time. So I'll c conclude there. I appreciate your attention. And uh, thank you very much again for um, not only funding the roundtable, uh, but for having us here to Washington today. Thanks. Next on the agenda is Jeffrey Orleans. He has been executive director of the Council of Ivy Group Presidents. That's the Ivy League since 1984. Thank you, uh, President Turner, and, and thank you all uh, for inviting me. Um, I wanted to start by trying to, to define the problem um, uh, for just a minute. Uh, we heard a, a lot of comment this morning about issues regarding recruitment of um, athletes in the very visible uh, money-making sports of, of football, especially 1A football, and uh, men's basketball, especially in Division I. But those of us in the working group and uh, those of us who are in a, a parallel uh, NCA working group that's also trying to deal with this, this issue have come to realize that the issues of separate athletic recruitment and admissions and whether we are, as uh, Coach Bunning said this morning, accountable in a good way to the students who are being recruited in these sports, these issues really extend across the whole breadth of NCA and, and collegiate athletics. My conference has um, 33 championship sports. We have more sports and more athletes and more recruited athletes than uh, any conference in the country. And we see the problems of um, early pressures on students to make commitments, of early pressures on coaches to secure commitments in every sport, um, pressures on students to start making up their minds in their sophomore uh, or junior year, pressure on coaches to have commitments from students in their sophomore or junior year, pressure on admissions offices to give some indication of whether someone will be admitted in that student's sophomore or junior year in high school. And uh, just none of this seems very healthy. It doesn't seem useful to ask a 15 or 16-year-old young man or woman to make a decision about where he or she wants to go to school and be an athlete 
for a period that's going to begin two years later and end six years later, which may or may not be with the same coach who's doing the recruiting. And it doesn't seem useful for the school to be making what are, in effect, admissions decisions by telling coaches that someone is admissible or recruitable before you have uh, SATs or ACTs or before you have junior year grades or sometimes before you have sophomore year grades. So both in, uh, in, the, in the group that uh, Doug has so ably chaired and in the NCA working group, we've been talking about ways to uh, bring these pressures to a much more manageable level. And we've come, I think, to the same answer. And, and I'd like to try and answer the question that some commissioners asked this morning of the panelists. What can this commission do? What specifically can you do? And I think our answer would be, from both the NCA and the, and the working group uh, perspective, to use your, uh, your bully pulpit, as um, uh, someone said at lunch today, in a very clear way to send a message to presidents and faculties and, and deans of admission about what we can as educators do differently. And I think all of us might have different ideas of what that message would be, but um, um, my message, I think, would have the following parts. One is to say that the issue of athletic uh, recruitment and admissions is not an athletic issue. It's an admission issue. Once these young people come to campus, they are students before they're athletes. And um, many of them will be students after they're athletes. And virtually all of them will use uh, the training they receive as students in their careers in a more direct way than they will use the training and skills they develop as athletes. And so it's, it's not proper, I don't think, for institutions to let recruitment and admission decisions about athletes be made only by coaches and athletic administrators. And it's necessary instead to ask admission deans and faculty members to retake responsibility for those decisions and to recreate the structures in which uh, those decisions are made in admissions offices uh, rather than solely in athletic offices. It's been a very uh, quick, I think, drift away from that model in the last five years. Um, it's only in the last five years that we in Division I have begun to hear about students who are making commitments or being asked to make commitments or think they need to make commitments in their sophomore and junior year. And it's partly um, the ratcheting up of, this, of the need to succeed in Division I, but it's partly a set of regular changes in the regular admissions process. The fact that students can now apply to most institutions online and can know very early in their high school careers uh, what the profiles of their institutions are, what they need to do to succeed, the um, push toward early admissions, the push toward merit-based financial aid, Many of the changes in non-athletic admissions have all ratcheted up the pressure on students who are not athletes to make commitments and make choices and feel qualified much earlier than they would have before. And athletic recruitment and admissions has been following that trend rather than leading it. But it does now have, in athletics, a kind of independent life of its own. And so I think the first thing we would ask the commission to say to presidents and deans of admission is to bring that set of practices and responsibilities back in to the admissions office and to create that sense of joint activity, which, which Joe will describe at Oklahoma, to recreate that sense of joint um, responsibility. Um, 
I think the second message we would send is that um, there are solutions that will work. They're not perfect. Uh, they're not without some risk, and they're not without some loose threads, but there are solutions that will work. Uh, you all have been at this for a long time, and you know that every change that you have suggested or that anyone else has suggested in athletics, which talks about reasserting academic values, has been met with the response that competition will be destroyed, or um, big-time athletics will be endangered, or we can do it, but we have to make sure that somebody else can do it, or that it's going to uh, increase the thickness of the NCAA rulebook. And uh, in our view, I think, none of those things, except maybe increasing the rulebook, none of those things uh, are true. And I would remind you that when we do increase the rulebook, it's ordinarily because we're trying to do something that we think is right. So I don't think there's a, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. And so I want to briefly describe two ways that uh, we might consider changing the framework for athletic recruitment and admissions that might make a difference here. One is to um, curtail or eliminate text messaging. Um, you heard a number of people, a number of coaches this morning say that they wished we could retreat from the ubiquity of text messaging. The Division I Student Athlete Advisory Committee strongly supported a proposal which my league offered uh, at the NCA convention to do just that. And for many reasons, that proposal did not go forward. But it was very, very clear at the NCA convention that there's a strong set of coaches and of recruits and of athletes who believe that we simply need to take text messaging out of this process as one way of returning some sense of normalcy to the recruitment process. That's a very small piece, but I think if we were able as a profession to do that, we could send a strong signal that we really do want to return the recruiting process to something that looks more like the normal admissions process and less like a precursor to a major league draft. The, um, the second proposal is more extensive. And um, I offer it as something that our league has begun to do. We have one year's experience, and we think it was a successful year's experience. And, and that's very simple. One is to make clear to recruits that no communication they hear about their admissibility to an institution is binding in any way unless it comes from the admissions office. And secondly is to prohibit admissions offices from discussing recruits with athletic departments before July 1st after the recruit's junior year. What those two things do in common um, is to say very clearly to recruits and their families, you can't hear anything that is at all binding or that you can rely on in any way until you finished your junior year and had one opportunity at the end of your junior year to take standardized tests. And the reason for that is that your recruitment decision is really an educational decision. It's a decision about where you're going to go to college. And we're not prepared to make that decision, and you shouldn't be prepared to make that decision until you finished your junior year in high school. We did that for the first time in our league this year, and we found that the complaints we were receiving in the league office about whether schools were making improper promises or whether schools were communicating with, uh, improperly with recruits um, dropped to zero in the league office because it was very clear to our coaches and our admissions offices what our expectations were and because our coaches were relieved to know that they could not be expected to talk about a recruit's admissibility 
until after they and the admissions office had had a chance to talk about what's a fairly full academic record, the equivalent of the record on which you'd make an early action or early decision, a formal decision, in the fall of the senior year. So I don't know that either the task force or the NCA working group is prepared to endorse that specific a proposal. And I certainly know, because we've worked with it for a year, all the ways in which that proposal can be difficult to implement. But I do offer it as one specific example of a way that it's possible to change the ground rules very radically to reintegrate admissions and faculty interest into recruitment and admission of athletes very radically and to actually make it work. And so what I would hope the commission would do is to explore with us some specific ways to do that and then to be very clear to your colleagues who are presidents and provosts and deans of faculties and deans of admissions that you think it is important for them as educators to reassert their responsibility in the athletic and recruitment process. Uh, I want to close with a, with a reference to the space program. Um, Dr. Edwards talked this morning about trying to talk the same language when we talk about uh, recruitment and admissions. You all may remember that in the late 90s, we lost an orbiter over Mars because the teams that were linking the orbiter um, and ground control, one team was talking in yards and one team was talking in meters. And while they were doing that, the spacecraft burned up in the atmosphere. So I think it's very important for you to uh, urge on our institutions that we have a common language about our student athletes and then it's an admissions language when it comes to their recruitment and admissions and not uh, simply an athletics language. Thank you. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> we'll get back to you with some questions uh, when everyone's finished. Uh, Jack Blackburn, we're delighted to have you with us. He's Dean of Admissions at Virginia and has done that for a few years, uh, since 1985. But, uh, and we also had a reading in your background materials about some actions he's been involved with. Jack. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Uh, I had uh, a little later departure this morning. The snow and ice was a little thick in Charlottesville, so I got here t at the end of that uh, 11 o'clock session. And I think John Bunting was probably talking about the University of Virginia when he talked about all men uh, that he visited. Uh, I want to commend the Knight Commission for what you've done. Uh, I've been in a college admission a long time, and it seems to me that what you've recommended to the NCAA has made a huge difference. Uh, I'm a firm believer in performance as the, the primary factor in judging a student's uh, competence and ability for being successful in my institution. And uh, back in the early days of this initial eligibility that NCAA had, I remember a student we had uh, who applied uh, Southside Virginia, a small town. He had taken, I can remember the transcript, English, math analysis, physics, fourth year of language, and government. That's the kind of program we looked for. They were not at the honors level, but he was making B's and A's, top fifth of his class. It was when <clears throat> there was a, a limit on the minimum SAT score, and he was deemed ineligible. Well, I admitted him anyhow. Uh, I thought he was someone we would have admitted had he not been a recruited athlete. Came in, and during that first year, he made a 3-2 after two semesters. Our athletic director uh, petitioned the NCAA, and they gave him an additional year of eligibility. Uh, he went on and finished with about a 3-5 uh, uh, and played uh, only three years, finished and left after he finished his bachelor's degree. 
that's my approach to college admission. That's my approach to recruiting, uh, looking at recruited athletes. And I think uh, if, if I could leave anything with this group at all, it would be to require or recommend more course units in academic subjects. Uh, I am absolutely convinced that if students took tougher classes, no matter what their SATs are, and even if it causes their GPA to be somewhat lower, a tough program as preparation for a university study is essential. And rather than getting into, pardon my expression, the, some of the fluff courses that are offered in gourmet cooking and bachelor living that you see on some of the high school transcripts, to take the college prep math and to take foreign language and take science and social studies and English and get into the honors level courses if they can. Uh, what's happening with us and with many of the institutions here is that we're getting more selective. We're getting wonderful applicants. The students who are applying to college today look better and better every year. I, there's nothing dramatic taking place. It's not one of these curves that goes straight up, but the quality in many colleges and universities is increasing. It's sort of inching upward. And the recruited athletes, in many respects, have not changed, particularly in the revenue sports. Uh, they're at about the same academic level they were about 20 years ago uh, in doing this. And I, my concern is that somehow uh, if the NCAA said uh, to be eligible as a first-year student, you have to have these courses. And the sliding scale is fine with me, uh, but I think the overall emphasis on performance and taking tough courses. Uh, I would, you know, the typical student I see is in a minimum of five solid courses per year in grades 9 through 12. And of course, they're starting with Algebra 1 in 7th grade or 8th grade, and then a foreign language they're starting then and carrying through. So by the time they're in the senior year, they're in the AP or increasingly the IB courses. Uh, it makes, it's not a mystery to me. It seems to me if students prepare themselves by getting into those classes, and if they knew they had to take them, if they knew it's a requirement, and if the coaches knew that it's a requirement, they would do it. They hope for the career of the NBA and the NFL, and I think if they see this as one of the requirements to get there, uh, I think they would do it. Uh, uh, Doug, I think your comment about involving people, the students, uh, the recruited athletes in uh, the life of the institution, I think it speaks to the leadership, particularly in the athletic department, not just in the admissions office or the dean of the faculty, but I think if there's an athletic director who makes it very clear that the coaches will be involved and will go to honors award ceremonies and things of that sort, that that's the kind of thing that it takes. Uh, I think leadership is essential in the athletic department to make that work. I know we do admission quite differently from one institution to another. Uh, about 12 years ago, I wrote a monograph on the admission practices and the selection process at about 12 institutions. And I was fascinated to see how this, uh, one institution does it one way, how another does it another. The same is true with the admission of athletes. Uh, in my university, I think of shaping a class. Uh, I look for two qualities, uh, quality and diversity. And uh, quality <coughs> on many scales <coughs> and diversity on many scales as well. For example, the student is very talented in the arts who would send a portfolio 
uh, and have a music professor listen to it. Uh, that student may not be uh, the best student in calculus or math analysis, but may add something wonderful to the institution. Uh, of course, I th see the same thing with recruited athletes. They bring something wonderful to the institution. Uh, we're fortunate to have kids who come to us and usually do pretty well. Uh, we're proud of people like Tiki and Rondé Barber and Heath Miller and uh, that kind of person who represents the institution for its real value. If we thought of it as shaping a class and recruited athletes as being just one part of that, I think then it would put things in perspective. Uh, my philosophy with coaches is to communicate as often as possible uh, and to meet with them at least once as a group to discuss what we're going to do for the year and to hold periodic meetings after that. Uh, I deal with pre-applications uh, that the coaches will put together. I'd like to have the students fill them out, but the coaches are doing it right now. I think Duke puts the, up to the student to fill it out. Maybe someday we'll have that. But I review those uh, usually in the summer or fall or winter of the senior year. I'm concerned about the ones I'm seeing in the 11th grade, uh, but sometimes they are superb students. Uh, women's soccer players seem to want to commit early. Uh, the, uh, I go back to the coaches and say yes, uh, maybe, or no, and if I say no, that's the end of the process, and they break off that connection. Uh, then the coach, of course, has those people to deal with, I've approved, and can go from there and trying to decide of all those swimmers, uh, which one does he or she really want to be on the team? Or how do they go about going down that depth chart in finding the student who's right for the institution? A full high school program is important. Uh, if they cut short, if they leave high school after the fall semester, to come in January in the middle of their high school years and start their first year. Our courses are pretty sequential. Uh, we have a first-year experience where every student lives in the first-year dorm, even Charlottesville students, no day students. They bond in that first year. And for somebody to show up in the middle of January as a new student who doesn't have an academic preparation as strong as these other students, I think it's an uphill battle. I always know that recruited athletes have two jobs. Uh, they have a huge job of handling a full academic program. Plus, they have a full job of being an athlete, and it takes 40 hours for each one of them. And I think to bring a student in at that point who's going to struggle academically, let alone the adjustment to a new institution at that point, is not fair to the student. Um, I'm very concerned about the schools that misrepresent themselves, the diploma mills that were discussed this morning, and I think uh, NCAA has done very good work in investigating those. Uh, the commitments in the 11th grade, you know, generally I'm against it, but yet sometimes these women soccer players who do it, I can tell them what they should take in the senior year. One of my real concerns is that if students sign early on, that they tend to let, take a light senior program as compared to their counterparts are gonna be sitting right next to them. But if the students do commit, in the summer before the senior year somehow gives us a little more leverage in trying to get them to take a program that's reasonable in preparing them for a program. 
one little concern we have, probably not critical, but uh, we have a lot of students, particularly uh, in football uh, and basketball, who uh, will uh, spend five years, uh, and in that last year, they'll be in a graduate program in our School of Education. They usually don't finish the year. They usually go through the middle of the year, uh, through the season, and then uh, withdraw from the institution. I would say in closing that I'd urge you to continue your good work. Uh, I think it's critically important, and I, uh, we were talking at lunch about other organizational relationships like this. Uh, it's a powerful one, and the Knight Commission has a, an amazing reputation in the impact it can have on college athletics. So thank you for what you're doing. Next on the agenda is Joseph Castiglione. He has been Director of Athletics at the University of Oklahoma since 1998. Well, thank you, President Turner, and all that uh, have been involved in inviting me to come join this panel. I'm, I'm very honored to be here and to share some of the uh, experiences and initiatives that we've put in place at the University of Oklahoma. I um, also appreciate being back in the Washington, D.C. area, as you mentioned. Um, not only uh, did I get my degree from the University of Maryland, but uh, I had a chance to work at Georgetown University. So I've had the experience of working both in public higher education as well as private. And I think it's served me well and helped me serve those I'm responsible for on a daily basis. Uh, over the last four years, uh, the University of Oklahoma has um, been involved in evaluating all of its efforts, programs, policies, procedures, strategies, philosophy related to admission. And it's not just admission of student athletes, but admission of all students. And part of that time, of course, we've been um, in the midst of implementing a variety of different changes related to the support of the academic reform movement throughout our enterprise. In short, we had to try to find a way to become more successful at evaluating those student athletes coming into our campus as well as putting them in the best position to be successful for four or five years they are with us. And um, we also wanted to reflect the uh, presidential um, perspective of, of our campus. Our president, David Bourne, had uh, come on board. And our university, not unlike many of the universities in the state of Oklahoma, had a little bit more of an open enrollment approach, even though it did have certain, um, certain strategies and, and certain criteria for students to meet. And part of that related to the fact that the student graduation rate was very low, very low for uh, our university, very low for universities in our state. And so um, on campus, there's been a great deal of focus on, on uh, retention and graduation strategies. And we wanted to be able to reflect that focus and that um, concern just as much as we reflect the overall institutional mission. Very clear on our campus that intercollegiate athletics is an integral part of the, uh, uh, more than what we are, 
but we try to serve the role we are given. It's um, for those of you who have, and I know there are some in this room, have had experience at the University of Oklahoma, people understand it's about more than sports. While sports might be a vehicle, uh, in our state, the success of our intercollegiate athletic program does relate to the psyche of many, many people. Um, it's part of our history. It's not something to run from. It's not something to um, make fun of. It just is true. And why not embrace it, but embrace it with the right values and the right philosophy to be as successful as we can in all of our endeavors. So we had to find some ways. And without having a great deal of time to begin to survey our student athletes, to evaluate some strategies that might have been in place. We had to take some action and we had to take it now. And um, we broke it down into several different areas, but all geared toward um, identifying the important traits of, of uh, students and student athletes that would be successful at our campus and then strategies that we could put in place that gave us the best chance to retain them while they were on campus. The first program we put in place um, involved background checks. And candidly, you know, we might want to do more checking of one's background than we're able to do, but this really focused on um, criminal background checks. Now, of course, very few students that we consider have any criminal background whatsoever, but it was um, important for us to know what we were getting. We know with the limitation of um, roles of coaches in high schools, uh, in the home, involved in meeting students, you know, very, very few times will people be as forthcoming about um, someone's background. Candidly, guidance counselors, coaches, teachers in various high schools don't want to hurt the student athlete's chance of getting a scholarship. So they're not always going to offer as much information as one might want. So um, we work through the, our um, Office of Public Safety and try to get information about a person's background. And if we were to find some information, we could use that in determining whether or not uh, the person would be admissible with that history. The second um, program we put in place took us a, you know, a little bit more time to, to uh, develop, but we created an academic review committee. And this committee was um, assembled using faculty. Um, first, faculty that were identified as members of our athletics council, and secondly, you know, faculty that would volunteer to be part of this committee and be assigned through the campus's faculty senate. This faculty um, group, the Academic Review Committee, meets periodically during the academic year. And um, they are brought together to evaluate all student athletes we deem to be at risk or marginal and trying to do the best job we can of evaluating their ability to be successful on our campus. And depending on the time of year in which they meet, they will have a certain amount of information. Sometimes it's just a six semester transcript, 
Sometimes, you know, the test score has been established, um, but at least we have all of the available information at hand before we make a decision about admission. Now, I do want to clarify one thing. Um, I don't know of a time since I've been on the University of Oklahoma campus or any campus I've been on where athletics actually determined admission of a prospective student athlete. We might make recommendations, but uh, I've never worked for a school where we had that kind of autonomy. I never assumed that we would. But I, I do think it's important for us, particularly in this case, to reinforce the role of our registrar and any of those that are involved in admissions of students and student athletes. And we work off their decision. But to prepare them better, we thought this academic review committee would really help. And it does several things. Um, the faculty get a chance to look at the student's background and make a determination of whether or not they think they could succeed on our campus. If there are any questions, um, the process goes like this. We have our, um, our department's academic officer who reports both to the athletics director and to the university provost. It's a dual report. And that person sits as a, um, a person to supply information only, does not make the decision. But uh, that person is there to provide whatever background the committee wants, at least to the extent that person can. If the background is more questionable, uh, the committee brings the coach to meet with them and meet in front of them to discuss the student that's been recommended and the reasons why the uh, coach believes the student will succeed at the campus. And furthermore, they also want to know what the coach is going to do, as well as the department, to try to ensure this student athlete has the best chance to succeed. So that does several things. One, it brings a lot of, of transparency to the process, which is very important. Number two, it brings people together that understand um, the means to identify a person's background. Three, it engages more than one or two, three people in the process of um, taking ownership in the student or the prospective student athlete's career. So they know from day one that that student athlete's um, record will be assessed and monitored as they go forward. And it's worked very, very well. So we did those two things. Then we try to develop additional strategies for transition. Um, we, we first looked at what the campus involves and, and, and offers. And in our case, um, the university has a program that is geared toward um, first year experience. And having spent some considerable amount of time with um, the College of Undergraduate Studies who oversees this particular role for the campus, I think it's one of the more understated values the campus offers. Yet, if we were to try to describe this to the general public, they would get caught up into the fact that this is intended to be remedial in nature and, you know, really, I think, and unfairly, um, 
clarify or classify this as you know something that is demeaning i can tell you without reservation it is not it is a tough tough course have personally gone through the student um, teacher orientation to see for myself and it's rigorous in fact we have as many on our campus now we have as many um, students that are valedictorians and graduating at the top of their class um, very high SAT or ACT scores taking this course now as some of those students who have been advised to take it because of some um, some area in their background that, that needed to be addressed it's a good program unfortunately it's not recognized um, as part of any any kind of countable hours for student athletes but nevertheless ex excuse me at least toward the degree or degree preparation but nevertheless um, we we make it important and try to put as many of our student athletes in there as possible second thing is that we put a, an attendance policy in place now we weren't the first university to put an attendance policy in place but we did check with the three or four we knew of that had attendance policies and try to craft one of our own we all know that students miss some amount of class and in certain sports may miss more than other sports but um, we were very, very concerned with the, um, the number of missed classes that were not excused, not part of, of uh, team travel or not part of a reason why students should be absent. And uh, it was a significant investment for us to put this policy in place, not just write it, but to create the funds necessary uh, to have people out checking classes every day. We checked 50,000 classes last year. That's a lot, and uh, take a lot of personnel, but it has made a big difference. I don't have the percentages, but we have reduced the um, missed classes by a dramatic number. It, it's, there's still some, of course, but uh, it's not anywhere near what it was. Um, and also, we, we make people show up on time because they're marked absent if they're um, not in class after 15 minutes, um, which seems to be a bit lenient, but we understand that uh, you know, we're working toward being there on time when class starts, so maybe in another year or two, it'll be, if you're not in class in five minutes, you'll be marked absent. But, and finally, um, we've uh, developed a, a institutional degree fulfillment strategy. I don't have evidence of how it is working as of yet because we just implemented it uh, this past fall with all incoming students. And while we understand the NCAA has its own satisfactory progress requirements, we have um, put together some more rigid standards for our student athletes, at least starting with all of those new students in the 06-07 uh, academic year. And what we are pushing students to do is to complete 30 hours of uh, credit in a given academic year. Now they can use the fall winter semester, they could use intercession, or they could use summer school, but it was our um, it was our opinion, strong opinion, that um, this was a way we could mirror 
the retention and graduation strategies of the campus and move people closer to graduation in four, four and a half, or no less than five years. Now, we'll tell you right off that we have about 25% of our student-athletes, based on their background, that we know will struggle to meet that. We know it. And we've put um, a process in place to try to help them and move them along. But we think this strategy will get more of our student-athletes closer to graduation in that fourth year, four and a half years. Those kinds of things are helping us because they're tangible, they can be monitored, and we can hold people accountable. But it's not geared to just having some policy in place and make people feel like they are always punitive measures. This is a strategy to bring more and more people into the process to take more ownership into the student athlete's success and, um, and be helpful for all those involved that are trying to move them to graduation. I'd like to close with a couple of um, concerns, and we may get into this in the question uh, period, but um, I, um, I think we have some additional problems on the horizon. I know in 07 and 08, we are taking the core course requirement up to 16. Uh, while um, that might be supported in a lot of different ways, um, I, I do um, appreciate what Jack mentioned in the type of courses that are taken. But where the rubber meets the road, I think we have more risk for prospective student athletes to find a way to get their core courses completed and to make sure that the grades in those core courses are high enough on the sliding scale to offset the low standardized test scores. So in short, while I hope we have done away with the diploma mill types, I worry that there are more people trying to figure out a way to get the students to meet these requirements. Going to put more pressure on the prep schools. Obviously, we've seen a little bit less pressure on junior colleges because these students are trying to get eligible and be on campus, at least theoretically, for four years. Uh, I would agree with what Jack said um, about the substance of courses. Uh, it's been my observation several years ago when the core course requirements were put in place, mathematic requirements were reduced. And uh, my experience in working with um, several of our colleagues on campus, um, math is one of the great predictors of ultimate success on a campus, not for just student athletes, but for all students. And we took one of those requirements out of the mix. One time we had two core courses for math, if I'm correct, and one of them, I think it's been reduced to one. Um, we did some uh, evaluation on our campus, invited some faculty to take part in, a, um, in an assessment. And uh, not surprisingly, um, the results would, would mirror what you all know. Um, once you eliminate the extraneous um, factors, football and men's basketball are obviously the two sports that struggle the most. 
for the most part, everyone else seems to do all right. We do have challenges. Baseball has become essentially a, a two-year sport for those student athletes who are very, very good in that sport. Hard to keep them for three and four years with, with the ability to be drafted after two years on campus. Um, we also found that uh, uh, in addition to traditional data supporting predictability of success in college, that um, the student athletes on our campus that get off to a better start in their first year do well in the years to follow. Now that may seem simplistic, but um, it does focus some, some attention on the importance of studying what strategy works for each student athlete when they come on our campus and trying to get them in courses where they can get confidence and to feel successful, but also be held to a certain standard and be held accountable for completing certain work. Um, the, um, <clears throat> the other thing I wanted to say about uh, our assessment that uh, um, it's important for us to recognize that not all student athletes are obviously the same and that student athletes must have some type of strategy to go along with their advising and planning, some type of intervention strategy. As was mentioned in one of the other sessions, we cannot ignore this. Um, we're finding more and more students coming to our campus with high GPAs, meeting the um, initial eligibility standards or admission standards, but have low test scores. And then they get on campus and they're testing at fifth grade, sixth grade reading levels. And um, these are not student athletes just unique to the University of Oklahoma. These are student athletes that are being recruited by every university in the United States. These are not a select, unique group. And it goes back to what I said earlier about the need to study what is going on prior to the time the student athlete gets to the campus. If we have a true conviction to seeing that they have a great deal of success while they're on our campus and matriculate and graduate. With that, I'll, I'll stop there and um, again, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I don't um, take this invitation um, lightly. I, I do realize that from time to time, directors of athletics participate in a variety of activities uh, sponsored by the commission, but uh, I know my colleagues who care deeply about our enterprise would gladly welcome any opportunity to serve you, to be available to you, and to help um, more people understand what we're facing and help devise the solutions to move the enterprise forward in a successful manner. So thank you for letting me be here. Thank you, Joe, and thank all four of you for your uh, comments. And now we uh, have about 15 minutes for questions here. Jack, you, this is your first time with us, and uh, appreciate very much your being here. Uh, would you like to start this off with a question? You didn't have your hands up. I'm putting you on the spot, but I don't want you to get out of here without saying something. Thank you very much. Um, there's a, a, a real dis, um, a wide range of institutions represented on the panel this afternoon. 
and Jeff from, from the Ivy Group, the UVA to Oklahoma. Um, and there were really differences in the kinds of suggestions that, you, that, that were present in our conversation today. Um, as you think about the role that, for example, the Knight Commission and the NCAA play in representing such a wide variety of institutions, do you have some thoughts across the board regarding how we come to terms with this, the incredible diversity of institutions that comprise our, our organization? Go ahead. What I heard, and maybe I heard what I wanted to hear, um, was I think a great deal of similarity in what the three of us said. And I think um, Joe and Doug and I heard a great deal of similarity in our, our group at uh, Georgia in August, which was a very diverse group in terms of institutional backgrounds, about um, asserting integrated institutional control over athletic recruitment and admissions that involves faculty and admissions and athletics together with, with a clear institutional standard, whatever the institution is. Um, and I think I also heard um, uh, everyone agreeing that those decisions ought to be admissions decisions. And I think I also heard, um, although I, I, I know Jack had uh, some caution, I don't think anyone, um, certainly none of the coaches I've talked to outside my league, I don't think anyone really likes the idea of getting uh, either asking for or, or getting or offering commitments to students before their junior years are done. And I think if I'm right that, that we do have those things in common across um, all of the NCAA and across all of Division I, then um, uh, agreeing on that and having this commission, if it finds that that's true, endorse those principles and then say every institution needs to make up its own mind, but there are some bedrock academic commonalities that, that we have, I think that would be an important thing, if I'm right about that. Okay. Could I make a comment, too? Uh, I think we have to take the position that every child can learn, and that we shouldn't ever be in a position of saying, this, this student can't do math, or this student can't learn science, or this person can't learn to write standard written English. So I come from that position that we need to because of the importance of the NCAA requirements. I think there's probably no stronger organization or set of standards in this country for trying to get students to take tougher courses. We've all seen intervention programs at various, you have a great one at Georgia, I've seen uh, where students are involved on these Saturday academies or there are students volunteering time every week in the schools from the local colleges. My sense is we need to raise the bar uh, and affect the students who are coming into play on our teams. Joe, I thought one of the comments that you made ties in with that, but also some of the things from the first column that uh, Harry Edwards, our first committee that Harry Edwards and others mentioned, and that is you were talking about developing uh, individual strategies for students to make sure that they, uh, that their individual academic shortcomings are met and that there is a more than probably if you put all these uh, both panels together more than just an academic intervention but it's also almost a cultural sociological intervention that uh, uh, teaches uh, 
our high school coach was talking about his wife teaching his students various cultural things. That's a far example, but, but the idea being that it takes more than academic acculturation uh, from the backgrounds that many of these young people are coming from to make them successful individually and on our campuses. And are you, particularly those of you that uh, have major programs, are you doing those kinds of things in terms of not only individual academic strategies, but also acculturation strategies for students? I asked you, Joe, I'm asking you that particularly. You want me to answer yes. first? Okay. Uh -huh. um, well, I agree with what you're saying, and in fact, that is what's happening. We, as, as a group, I'm talking inter intercollegiate departments, have put more and more resources behind our um, student life areas, in particular, advising. It's not just a sort of assembly line approach, come in, let me see what you're interested in taking and get you a set of classes and, and go forward. We try to look you know, into a, a student athlete's background to the extent we can and try to put together that strategy for him or her to um, find a way to build confidence in their first or second semester with us. Um, the other thing that we found in the assessment, and while it is not necessarily conclusive, we found that um, student athletes who tend to declare a major earlier than those that don't seem to have a little bit more success because they have targeted something. That's not to say that they couldn't change their mind later on, but at least they have got themselves in a mindset and a target. And even those that are um, challenged seem to do better with some type of a major which they can work towards. Anybody have a comment, Jack? Uh, yeah, at Virginia, uh, we have a, we start with a summer transition program. And usually about 60 to 70 students are brought in first year. Uh, and uh, probably 35% of them are recruited athletes. Uh, six weeks, they get two courses. And a lot of time spent on how to use the how to do research, how to, do the, how to use the library, how to make that computer work right, uh, uh, literally things of that sort. Or if we feel they have a particular concern or problem in math or in foreign language, we give special support in that area. We have lots of picnics and gatherings and parties and whatever to socialize and acclimate the students to the place. So they're not afraid of professors when they first arrive. When they show up in, in late August, they have a leg up. Uh, we have very uh, close contact with faculty advisors, and they're hand-picked faculty advisors, people who like sports. Yeah. And uh, they serve very well, I think, in working with the student until they get into a department. Right. Carol. Yeah. I appreciate the, the very thoughtful approach that each of you has brought to the discussion this afternoon. and. Uh, you've, you've begun with the end in mind, and that is, what does it take to create a successful graduate, and then begin to consider within your own type of organization uh, what those activities might be, and you've enabled us to see policy and procedure implementation that might make a difference, and I appreciate that very much. Uh, Three of the four of you participated in the August roundtable at Georgia, and I think perhaps all of you were here this morning uh, with 
perhaps Jack, you came in a, a bit later, but I, I'm wondering if you could imagine, based on a different kind of reality that was presented this morning, not, not that there's opposition here, it was just coming at it from a, a slightly different approach, uh, if you might have conducted your roundtable differently, if you had had the benefit of this morning's panel discussion before going into that experience. It was a different kind of being on the ground that was presented to us this morning from the, the standpoint of the media, the high school coach, the student, et cetera. President Herbert, I'm not sure we would have. I think we um, sought diversity of perspectives of institutional types to be certain of roles within institutions in putting together the group. Uh, I would have loved to have had a few more people um, around the table, as I think we all would have, and I think um, there are always other perspectives to bring in. I, I think you're right. I, it would have been really interesting, for instance, to have Bobby from Rivals.com um, at a discussion of recruiting, and Walsh and I didn't think of that, or if we did think of it, we didn't act on it. Um, also having student athletes there would have been uh, would have been quite interesting. It's really the strength of, uh, of the model of doing these roundtable discussions to try to produce something that's tangible at the end to give people that are that have wildly different experiences sometimes and, and perspectives based on those and sit in very different types of institutions to come to some sort of consensus around broad concepts and even specific uh, um, programs that can, can address some of the challenges that are out there. Okay. Any other questions to me? Just previous um, a panel, do you have folks who can reach out to the kids whose backgrounds may be, let's say, vastly different from any of you on the podium <laughs> before us? Um, or if I need to be more specific, I can be. Uh, among your, your faculty and so forth, who reaches out to the kids from the urban area as well as from the hardcore poor rural area and help bring them in? Because these are kids who can't make good scores on SATs because SAT experiences have to do with middle class. And if you don't have those experiences, you can't answer those questions and you can't do well. It's an issue also across our universities when you think about who ends up as university faculty, who ends up as um, academic administrators. These are often people who are not from the backgrounds you described. So it's a challenge that we face across our industry. I guess my other question, the other way to put it is, how's that working out? <laughs> this is the question. I think our um, attention to that issue has been reflected in the advisors we hire. Now, I don't want to lead you to believe that we perfected this yet, but we're moving in that direction that the advisors have some experience from which they can reflect upon. Um, sometimes they're former student athletes. Uh, others, you know, have gone to our campus, matriculated and been successful or been somewhere else. Um, we've also um, begin to look into this, a mentorship program. So we all have these life skills um, programs in place and theoretically they're supposed to provide this large umbrella, all these resources for student athletes and they do a great job, but the one area we think we can improve is, is in the area of mentorship and having somebody that is focused solely on that and following our student athletes 
all the way through, and then once they graduate, helping position them for some success in their chosen livelihood. And last, we, um, we also took a um, um, look at the psychological issues that our student athletes are facing, many of which are silent, you know, in, in terms of, of uh, people's awareness. And we hired um, a counseling psychologist that works directly for the athletic department. And uh, just so happened this person, she was a former student athlete herself and, and has that kind of background. And she has been involved in a myriad of different um, situations, interviews, planning meetings, and so on and so forth. So she's brought a great deal of, of uh, insight. So we're working toward it. Not perfect yet, but it's getting better. Oh, excuse me, Jack. Just a quick response. Uh, in addition to a support group in our athletic department, uh, what we want to do is draw the students into support programs within the, within the whole university. For example, the Office of African American Affairs, the, the Special Office for Hispanic Students, uh, the uh, Asian American Student Support Group, things of that sort is where I think the students probably do better uh, in making that adjustment to the institution. Um, thanks. Thanks to all of you for coming. Um, you may know the NBA changed its uh, minimum age requirement a few years ago to, in effect, now uh, require uh, high school uh, basketball players to uh, not to be able to come into the NBA right out of high school. They, in effect, have to wait a year. So I guess it remains to be seen how that will play out, whether these players go on to college, whether they go to Europe, sit out, whatever it may be. I guess my question's sort of out of curiosity. Um, you know, how, how does that factor into an admissions decision? Maybe this is for you, Jack, and perhaps you, Joe. You know, if, if you sort of know that a Greg Oden, for example, is likely to only come to your school for one year, um, you know, or a baseball player is only likely to come for two years, is your mindset, gee, well, that could be two very impactful years for that, that that player or for the university because of what they may give us in terms of notoriety and so forth, or are they taking a spot away from somebody who might be more deserving in terms of, uh, uh, you know, someone who would be staying a full four years and who would be giving back to the university potentially in other ways? I'm just kind of curious to hear your views on how that cuts. I'll go fast on this. Uh, we take our chances. If we want the student, we'll go for it and try to persuade the student to stay with us. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I think that goes with any student we see, uh, uh, whether we think, oh, that student's Ivy bound, uh, we're going to take a chance anyhow and make the offer. Well stated. Um, I agree. And that's uh, assuming that uh, we haven't um, changed our philosophy on evaluating student athletes' background just, just for the sake of getting them there for that one year. But, like Jack said, we would take our chance, and I think what we're seeing in some cases is that certain student athletes are not ready for the NBA, even though they thought they were going into their freshman year. And we may see a few more stay around for at least one or two more years after that. I hope take our chance. All right. Well, thank you for being with us. We appreciate your help. <laughs> Members of the commission, I think. Uh, what we've had today, uh, obviously the first panel on gender equity and then these two on the recruiting process, the external pressures and uh, academic values. Uh, Amy will get, hopefully, and from you too, uh, the four of you, uh, copies of your remarks so that she would have them uh, available to us. 
and uh, then we'll need to be talking about exactly how we utilize the information we have. Obviously, one of the goals was to try to uh, keep Title IX in the spotlight to get sort of a where we are at this time report with Title IX and, and look at what uh, in the future what we might be recommending uh, in that regard. Also, as we are dealing with the issues of student welfare, the whole recruitment aspect of this is with, around that big theme. And although the issues are resolved within the NCAA, uh, I think our attention to those uh, issues uh, with uh, student welfare that was certainly uh, well documented with our uh, summit last year provides us a good opportunity to continue to uh, have a lot of visibility, probably come up, maybe come up with some best practices statements, but to uh, encourage the kind of legislation that would uh, help move this along. Uh, because I think, as we've heard in both of these panels today, uh, the challenges are just getting greater. And our concern for the welfare of our student athletes uh, is going to, I think, require more of our time simply because of the difficulties uh, and the outside forces that are coming to bear more and more and more. And as Lynn and others mentioned, there are market forces here that uh, in some ways uh, we're simply going to have to respond better toward rather than control. And uh, I think that will be the basis of some good discussions in the future. Uh, we have our May meeting coming up, and in that meeting we'll be looking at some things that are very important on the uh, uh, docket that's coming up within the NCAA, both with physical responsibility, some of those items that are coming forward, the first important uh, APR cutoffs in May and uh, the extent to which that may uh, end up uh, creating a great deal of noise and uh, give us opportunity that we may need to reinforce the importance of, of uh, holding on the academic reform issues, uh, no matter what the criticisms may be. And a couple of other topics that uh, Amy will be developing uh, with us uh, over time. But uh, be thinking about the implications of what we've heard today and how we might best put those together in terms of our future actions. And uh, certainly, uh, Jeffrey, you and uh, Doug and others mentioned some best practices kinds of things that would be helpful for admission standards in terms of how uh, we would proceed just to uphold the uh, academic integrity of our institutions. And we tend to try to go on principles and not to get into the weeds on how it's going to be implemented. So uh, those kinds of ideas that can be helpful to be affirmed by the Knight Commission, we're always interested in looking at them as they tie into our one plus three uh, basic format. Chairman, you have anything you want to say, Alberto? Not at all. That's it. Uh, if you would, uh, any of the press or others that uh, wish to talk with us here briefly, well, then we'll be here to visit with you. Thank all of you for coming, and we look forward to our May meeting. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. For more information on the Knight Commission, please visit www.knightcommission.org.